All right, well, good morning. Uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, my name is Nate. I'm the family minister here at Vera Christian Church. Our preacher Steve had vacation this week, and so I get the joy of bringing the message this morning. Uh, Scott gave me a pretty high bar to set, a fantastic message, so we'll see how that goes. Thank you so much for joining us here in person. Uh, for those of you that are watching online, thank you so much for joining us either through Facebook or YouTube. Make sure you hit the like and subscribe button. That'll keep you connected in. Uh, also, you can hit the share button and you can share this message with friends or family, whoever might need it. Uh, hopefully, you've all recovered from Thanksgiving and Black Friday. Did everybody have a good time? Awesome. Good. We're smack dab in the middle of my favorite time of year. I love the fall and winter. I love ma- spending time with family, making memories together. I love the cooler weather. Yes, it's on the way. It'll be here. Uh, I also love the, the great food, the great times together. Uh, it also has another one of my favorite things, football. The student minister's on the stage, and so yes, you're going to talk about football this morning. Football is uh, uh, such a fun thing for me, uh, and I know we've got some Dolphins fans in the room. I know we've got some Jaguars fans in the room. Uh, we've even got some Cheesehead Packer fans here at Vera Christian Church. <laughs> there you go, Sally. My team is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yes, there we go. All right. Uh, they're not doing too bad this year. They're not doing too bad. A lot of that has to do with some big names that they signed in the offseason. Uh, the top of that list being none other than Tom Brady. Tom Brady is now a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, for those of you that have given up on the NFL. Um, so he is honestly one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Uh, I think he is definitely at the top of the list or close to the top of the list. Um, and when this signing happened, it was one of those things that just blew me away uh, because this stuff never happens for Tampa. Uh, Tampa is a team that started 0-26. Uh, that's a pretty rough way to get started. Uh, that was back in the 70s. You couldn't even buy a win back then. Um, they also had a, a young man by the name of Steve Young that they traded to the 49ers at one point. Uh, Steve Young was another one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Uh, At the beginning of this season, there were football analysts that were saying that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers looked like a fantasy football team. Uh, The roster was that good. Uh, If you were to pick a fantasy football team, who would you pick? If you were to put together an all-star team, maybe football's not your thing. Maybe all-star, baseball, who would you pick? Maybe basketball is your thing. How about the dream team? Do you remember the dream team from days ago? Maybe sports isn't your thing. Maybe it's your top list of authors or chefs or actors and actresses. If you had to accomplish something big, what team would you pick? What are the factors that you would think about as you chose your dream team? That question brings us to our passage for this morning. We're looking at Matthew chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles, turn there with me this morning. If you don't, it'll be on the screen behind me. Let's start at chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew. Bartholomew is kind of my guy, Nathaniel. Uh, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So here we have the original Team Jesus, right? These 12 guys traveled around with Jesus and saw him perform incredible miracles. They heard him teach life-changing messages. They saw him minister to the sick and the hurting, the outcast and the broken. 
What was it about these young men that, that qualified them to be a part of Jesus' inner circle, his closest followers? For the past few weeks, the, our Wednesday night student ministry small group has been watching a, a show called The Chosen, doing something a little different right now. Uh, the show is, is all about Jesus and the disciples. One of the best things that the show does is it shows the disciples as truly relatable people. I think oftentimes we read the Bible and we think about these guys as superhuman or larger-than-life characters. Sometimes we subtly detach from the fact that these were real, ordinary guys like you and me. Several of them were fishermen with salty personalities. Peter had arguments with his wife. Yeah, he had one of those. Matthew was a tax collector. Jesus didn't exact, or Jews didn't like tax collectors all that much. They were sellouts to them. Simon was a political rebel. He was a zealot. He was a hothead. He wanted to overthrow the Romans. These guys were definitely not the A team. They weren't a dream team in any man's eyes. But there was something about them that made them exactly who God wanted for Jesus. None of them seemed to have any special abilities that made them suited to start the church. Maybe what they did have was a willingness to say yes. Maybe what they did have was a willingness to show up, a heart that was willing to follow and go. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God isn't looking through the earth for the best ability. God is looking for hearts. My first point to chew on this morning is maybe Jesus isn't looking for our ability. He's looking for our availability. Do we consistently make ourselves available to Christ? Do we wake up each morning and say, God, use me today. I want to be available for you. From Moses that couldn't speak well to Gideon who was the least of the least to David who was youngest and overlooked, God's word both shows and tells us in 1 Samuel 16, 7 that people, we look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. On January 12, 2010, a massive 7.0 earthquake struck the country of Haiti. As I watched the news and saw this story and saw the devastation, my heart broke for these people, people that I had never met in my life. I couldn't get them off my mind. In my prayer time, I felt this burden and challenge to do something scary, to step out in faith and go. Frankly, when it came to helping, though, I really didn't feel like I had much to offer. What could a middle school minister in his mid-20s bring to the table in a situation like this? My medical training was somewhere between low-level first aid and rub some dirt on it. Um, and I had never been in a post-devastation environment, uh, an environment of just chaos to be real honest. These were questions that I'm sure were running through the minds of my parents as they watched their son prepare to head off to a country that was dangerous on a good day. I didn't have a specific set of skills, but what I did have was a willing heart, a heart that wanted to help any way that I could. It is absolutely incredible what God can do with a willing heart. Jesus chose a wild group of misfits, guys that were nobody's dream team, to change the world. And he still does that today. The church that these guys started all those years ago is made up of people from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds. Many different skill sets are present in the church, right? But maybe the thing that matters most 
is a heart that's willing to follow. A life that's willing to go. Go. Such a small word and yet such an often difficult task, right? Go. Such a small word and yet such an absolutely crucial aspect of the Christian life. The sermon series that we're in right now is Obey Everything. If Jesus commands it, we obey it. This is pulled from the Great Commission. It's the final command of the church, to the church from our Lord and leader Jesus. A command that begins with the word, go. Let's get back to our passage. Verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Don't go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Jesus gathers his disciples to himself. The language here is like a quarterback calling a huddle or a military commander bringing in the troops for a briefing. Military commanders do not give suggestions for their troops to follow. They give commands for them to obey. Jesus gathers up his disciples and sends them out to spread the good news. The kingdom of heaven is near. He also gave them authority to heal and to cast out demons, to literally raise the dead, to carry on his mission. This is a growth moment for them. It's almost like parents sending off their kids to college for the first time or like a a football player being called off the bench to play for his first time. It's also like Jesus is a mother bird, like a mama bird, kicking her babies out of the nest so they'll fly. I believe Jesus did this because he created a fundamental fact of life, that if we want to grow, we've got to go. If we want to grow, we've got to go. We know this to be true in most, if not all, areas of life. If we want to grow, we've got to go. Maybe you're like me and you've seen the scale start to tick up a little bit through the last six to eight months. The quarantine 15 is a a real struggle, right? Desire to lose weight isn't enough. We've got to go. We've got to get out there. Paying for an unused gym membership only benefits the gym owner, right? He loves it. We've got to change our diet. We've got to get out there and exercise. We've got to go. If you want to grow, or rather get rid of some growth, you've got to go. Maybe you've developed a new hobby this year. Uh, My wife is a stellar backyard gardener. Uh, She's filled our yard with all kinds of fruits and vegetables and all kinds of great stuff. Imagine taking a handful of seeds and just tossing it out in the yard and hoping for the best, right? It's going to end up in a mess, an absolute mess. If we want to grow, we've got to go. You've got to get out there and tend the garden. You've got to take the action to make it happen. Maybe something else is a mess. Maybe our marriages, our relationships. Maybe when we sit down next to each other on the couch, there's way more distance than an armrest. Hoping and wanting things to get better isn't enough. We've got to be willing to go and take action and mend the relationship to rekindle the romance Desire is not going to develop into a better marriage unless we put in the work. If we want to grow, we've got to go. 
our faith and our walk with Christ is marked by deep internal faith and conviction that naturally flows outward into loving action toward others. Salvation that has never been and will never be a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's an invitation to an eternal adventure filled with lots of going and spreading the good news through loving actions and words. Why is it that we often believe that growing in our faith is best achieved by just studying the Bible more, learning more, as if our faith is just this collection of ideas that we believe in, or as if we're studying for some kind of eternal game of Jeopardy? The Christian life is not merely sit and listen, it is go and tell. Jesus is reminding us this morning that he has called us to go and that faith and love are best expressed, not in words, but in action. That going is crucial for growing, both in our personal walk with him and in the family of God. We're living in a time when people are scared, lonely, hurting. They feel hopeless and they're in desperate need of some love. Maybe there's some of us in this room who are feeling that way this morning. Jesus, just like he did all those years ago with his disciples, is sending us out, sending us to those around us to love them and tell them and show them the kingdom of heaven is near. Those disciples that day were not heading out on a field trip. They were heading out and getting their first taste of a mission, a mission that was being handed to them and a mission that has been handed to us. Like them, we can and should be goers. Goers that bring healing to hurt people, light to dark places, and love to those who are hurting and need it so desperately. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus is about to give them an interesting command. Don't get any gold or silver or copper or take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. So Jesus, he sends these guys out and tells them to pack light. Don't even take money or an extra shirt with you. Just go. It's almost like Aladdin reaching down to Jasmine from the magic carpet saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Actually, it may seem like he's putting them to the test, but he's challenging them to put God to the test, to trust that he will provide for them as they go. Once I had determined in my heart that God was calling me to step out in faith and go to Haiti after the earthquake, I took action. I spoke with the leadership at the church that I served at at the time and got their approval to go. Uh, one of my fellow ministers on staff, a guy named Randy, had some friends that were actually serving in Haiti uh, with an organization called CSI. Their names were Greg and Kathy. And he said, I'll, I'll make some phone calls. I'll try to connect you with them. Maybe they can house you while you're over there. Uh, you'll still have to figure out how to get over while he was doing that, I, I talked with uh, some people, made some phone calls, and finally got connected with a guy named Phil Murphy. Uh, Phil was putting together a small team. There were about four of us uh, that went over to check on an orphanage that he and his family had started years earlier. And so God had opened a way for, for me to go and to get over there. 
as we were packing and getting ready, Phil told us, he said, guys, uh, we don't have a ride secured from the airport to the orphanage. He said, I'm going to try to get us something when we get there, uh, but I can't guarantee you anything. Uh, if we don't get a ride, it's an eight-hour walk uh, from the airport to the orphanage. Uh, it's a sobering thing to think about, eight hours of, of just pure walking. And so we all kind of said a little prayer and said, okay, well, if that's what we need to do, then that's what we need to do. So the plane lands in Port-au-Prince, and, and Phil heads out into the parking lot to go and try to find a ride for us. Uh, we stayed in the terminal, and for the next 20 minutes or so, uh, just kind of waited. Uh, said some little prayers and just said, okay, God, uh, make a way. We need, we need to provide uh, here, uh, or we're, we're going to walk it. And so about the time that we start getting ready to stretch, you know, and get ready for this eight-hour walk, uh, around the corner comes Phil with a smile on his face and good news. Uh, he had run into an old friend and found a ride for us. And so we all kind of celebrated a little bit and said, all right, let's go. And so we head out into a parking lot, uh, the most chaotic parking lot I've ever been in in my life. And I've been in a lot of Black Friday parking lots. And Phil motions us over to this flatbed truck, you know, covered flatbed truck, and we hop in. Uh, we sit down and we say a little prayer of thanksgiving that God provided a ride for us. As I sit down, I look across from me and there's a lady sitting there and underneath her is a Tupperware bin that has the letters CSI on it. And it sparked something in my mind. It reminded me of, of Randy and the friends of his that served down here. And I said, oh man, that's great. You're, you're with CSI, right? And do you know Greg and Kathy? Her response will forever be etched in my mind because she said, yeah, I sure do. I'm Kathy, and my husband Greg is driving the truck. Of all the people in Haiti, God provided Greg and Kathy to give us a ride to the orphanage. There were all kinds of stories like that, just from that one short trip. And it etched in my memory and etched in my mind that where God guides, God provides. Where God guides, God provides. You can see this in scripture in Isaiah 58, 11. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry and restoring your strength. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. The context of that verse is, is a, a context all about serving others and caring for the hurting and the needy. That as we follow, as we serve, as we care for those around us, we find that God takes care of us. You can see this in Psalm 23, one of the most famous psalms of all time. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Where God guides, God provides. Jesus sends his disciples out. He tells them to go to leave the comfort and security of what they've known, to head out and to share the good news and to bring nothing extra with them because he wants them to experience something deep. It's as if Jesus is telling them, as you do and go and care for the needy, I will care for your needs. He is the good shepherd after all. And he immediately transitions to that imagery with his disciples in this passage, starting in verse 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. 
Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You're going to be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. To which all of them, I'm sure, said, yay, right? On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you're not going to finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? He started that by saying, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Isn't the job of a shepherd to protect the sheep? The protection that Jesus provides is ultimately eternal. While in Christ, our eternity is secure. Sometimes that protection does manifest in the temporal, like with Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But sometimes it doesn't, like with the stoning of Stephen or the long list of Christian brothers and sisters that have given their lives for Christ. Jesus often sends his people into dangerous places. If you want a safe and comfortable life in this world, stay away from Jesus. He is super clear that the world we live in hates him. And that as we follow him, they're going to hate us too. In following Jesus, we have not joined some social club but a band of brothers and sisters too. As I said earlier, salvation is and never has been a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's an invitation to an eternal adventure filled with a lot of going and sharing the good news through loving actions and words. And on this side of eternity, we have got an enemy that hates us, that wants to destroy the church and silence the gospel. This is the reality that we as disciples of Jesus are thrust into. This is the mission that he's called us to. Jesus does this because he knows that going invites opposition, but that opposition creates opportunity. Jesus doesn't shy away from the fact that these guys are going to face significant opposition. They're going to be arrested, flogged, brought before governors and kings, but that in doing that, it presents an opportunity. Governors and kings are people of influence in their region, right? You can see this in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they, the religious leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note because these men had been with Jesus. The opposition that Peter and John faced that day created an opportunity for them to highlight Jesus. It wasn't about their ability. Their lack of ability and lack of credentials actually helped them to highlight Jesus all the more. 
Back to Matthew 10. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my father in heaven. Fear is often the motivating force behind a lack of motion in our walk. We keep quiet because we're afraid of what they might think. We keep ourselves from giving because we're afraid we may not have enough at the end of the month. We avoid serving because we're afraid that we don't have what it takes. Fear can and usually does prevent our faith from going. And a faith that's unwilling to go is a faith that will struggle to grow. Jesus speaks right to this and challenges the disciples to not get rid of their fear, but to put it in the right place. He says, don't fear men. All they can do is kill you, right? Fear God, who can destroy both body and soul in hell. The famous author G.K. Chesterton says it this way, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. One fear cures another. When God's terror scares you, Turn your thoughts to the wrath of God. The very same God who loves you, who's numbered the hairs on your head, and who has called you to a mission to go. What do we fear most this morning? Close your eyes with me for a minute and take a moment to think about somebody in your life that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. Somebody that you love and care for maybe a family member or a neighbor, maybe a friend or a coworker. How actively are we sharing our faith with them? How much going is going on in our walk with Jesus? Are we being intentional to talk with them about Jesus or to invite them to come to church? Studies over the years have shown that over 70% of unchurched people would attend a service if they were invited by a friend. The question in our mind shouldn't be, are they going to come or what are they going to think? The question should be, am I going to invite them? Am I going to talk to them? Many times we hold back because we're worried about what, we, what they might think or maybe we're going to lose the friendship. But the reality is, is that if they never come to Christ, the friendship is going to be lost for eternity and our fear will have kept us from helping them. There is no greater mission in this world than the mission of Jesus and his church, in his words, to seek and save the lost. People, people are the mission. We started this morning thinking about who we would pick for our dream team. If you've been baptized into Christ, you're a part of his dream team, the church. You've been chosen to join him in this mission, a mission that values a willing heart over human ability, a mission where we grow as we go. A mission where when we take care of the needy, we find that he takes care of us. And a mission that sees opposition as an opportunity. Let's pray. Father, this morning we, um, we worship you.
We give you thanks because you are the definition of worthy. God, we thank you so much for all of the blessings that we have in this life. Freely we have received. May we freely give. May we be a people who go. And that as we go, we grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.